Welcome to the Mavericks and Misfits podcast, where not quite fitting into the religious status quo is a good thing. Slick church trends deceive us. Denominational traditions can blind us. But truth from the heart of God always transforms us. And now, here's our host, a self-proclaimed ministry maverick and church misfit, Jeff Lyle. So today I want to talk to you about um, an element of being a maverick or a misfit that I really don't touch on very often in this podcast. Most of the time in this podcast, and especially you that listen regularly, you'll know this to be true. I'm usually dealing with clearly Christian theology and or practices or philosophies, mental attitudes that separate um, from the status quo. So in other words, if you are a Christian maverick, it just means you're not overly interested in what um, the the status quo version or acceptance is from the general population of believers. Um, you are much more interested in, you know, what is God saying? What has God said in his word? What is the Holy Spirit doing right now? You're more interested in that than you are in, hey, what, what's going on in our generation and what's happening in churches and what do people expect me to believe and what's my denominational norm and so on and so on. And so, you, you know, you that listen regularly, you're used to that. But I'm going to give you something today that's going to challenge you even a little bit more deeply because what's going on in our culture right now and has been really for the better part of a decade on some level, but it really, really uh, peaked during the political year of 2019-2020. Um, and it is this intense discord and division that has resulted in America being in a really radically divided, fragmented uh, republic. We are, we are not uh, one nation under God. We are absolutely not. That Pledge of Allegiance contains a lie. We are not one nation under God anymore. And barring some massive revival uh, from the people of God, that that statement in our Pledge of Allegiance will will never be true again, Uh, mainly because, one, we're not under God. (laughs) This is not a nation that is submitted to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And number two, um, we're not one. Uh, We are very, very divided. And from primarily, I believe, the enemy utilizing cultural influences, um, the media, the government, and then our own innate selfishness and um, our capacity to segregate over things that are just, frankly, um, unimportant. Um, We we have become a, a radically divided nation. And so when I'm talking to Christians about being a maverick, um, what I'm saying is, are you bucking that system? Or are you a part of it? You, you may wonder, Jeff, what exactly are you talking about? Well, how radically committed are you to your identity in Jesus Christ and then being in radical commitment to all others who are in Jesus Christ, regardless of whether or not you share the same race whether or not you are the same generation, whether or not you share the same politics, uh, whether or not you share the same uh, ideologies and philosophies. Um, Are you pressing in and fighting for the oneness in the spirit that is actual? Um, We are actually, from God's perspective, one in the spirit with each other, regardless of whether we are black, white, Asian, Hispanic, whether we're American or from some other 
part of the world, whether we are young, middle-aged, or old, we are tied together in eternal oneness with each other. And Scripture, primarily our New Testament, has some intense things to say to Christians about operating in a oneness with one another. Um, not just a functional unity, but a an honoring of our oneness. And then part of that is the call to refuse to be divided over our lesser loyalties or our differences. Um, you and I both know that people are regularly sacrificing the fellowship, the oneness, the unity. The Greek word is koinonia. It, de- it describes a partnership in life. Christians are sacrificing that regularly on the altar of things like politics, um, entertainment. I mean, of all things, people, you know, sacrificing on the altar of entertainment and, um, you know, celebrity status. And then when you throw in things like, you know, minor doctrinal differences and, you know, attitudes and philosophies and generational differences, it's really a shame. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry to say that, but it's a shame that um, Christians will not fight for one another beyond their points of uh, petty disagreements. Um, in the first century, when the New Testament was being written, uh, there was no luxury for Christians to separate from each other over stuff like politics. They didn't have the option. You know why? Because Christians were being killed for being Christians in the first century. Um, And by the way, after the first century, but it began immediately. They were being killed. They were losing their property. They were being separated from their families. They were being imprisoned. They were being tortured. And if American Christians will just humble ourselves for a moment, I want us to recognize that's happening right now in our generation and other parts of the world. So whereas Christians in America are bickering over things like race, they're bickering over things like politics, they're bickering over, you know, one party trying to protect what they've had for a long time and another party saying, I'm entitled, I want what you've got, even if it costs you something. I mean, it's just absurd And it's really beneath the dignity of what it means to be a blood-bought, forgiven, pardoned, humbled, broken child of God. When you come to Jesus Christ, do you know what you have to acknowledge? You have to acknowledge on some level, I am nothing. I have nothing. I must be rescued. I can't save myself. I am depraved. I am damned. I am a sinner worthy of eternal judgment from a holy God who owes me nothing and yet loves me with an immeasurable love so that he sacrificed his very only son in order that his son might take all of my punishment, all of my wrath, all of my condemnation onto himself and suffer an agonizing death under the weight of judicial penalty from the wrath of God so that I might receive pardon, justification, forgiveness, an infilling of the Holy Spirit, a promise of eternal life, and a purpose in this life that we're living on earth. Do you you see how quickly we've forgotten where we were found by God Almighty? We were found as depraved and damned human beings worthy only of hell. You may not like that. I'm sorry. You don't like your Bible. 
If you don't believe that, you don't believe your Bible. That's what the Bible teaches, that we were lost, wretched, damned sinners heading for a hell that we deserved. And God, who is rich in mercy, loved us from before the foundation of the earth and sent his gospel to us. And then when we believed, we were reconciled unto God. And so, listen, we escaped the death penalty. And how do we go from damned, I keep using that word because some of you don't believe it, damned, like literally damned to hell. That's what we deserved. That's where all people are outside of Christ. They abide under the wrath of God until you come out from that wrath through faith in Jesus. And so we've received this unspeakable gift of eternal life. And then how do we turn around and start fighting with each other, demanding of each other, asserting ourselves, um, threatening and cajoling and you know jockeying for position and trying to get over on one another? How does that happen? And tell me for just, I mean, how in just... How in the world is that kind of attitude consistent with being a follower of Jesus Christ? And so that's where we are. And that the problem is, is that the church used to be distinct from that kind of stuff. And the church in other parts of the world is still distinct from that kind of stuff because they are literally fighting for their lives as they seek to follow Jesus with all of their heart, mind, soul, and strength. But American Christians, I'm just going to call it like it is. Um, this is not every Christian, but as a whole, when I see the dysfunction in the church, it's because the, the, the church has become so much like the culture fighting for self, wanting to get what I'm owed, wanting to get what I deserve, wanting payback for what was done to me or my people, or wanting to preserve what me and my people have had all this time. And it's such a self-oriented, anti-Christ spirit in the culture that some Christians are actually being drunk on that kind of spirit to the point where we, we want what we're owed. Well, let me just remind you, you know what you're owed? You're owed death, hell, and separation from God. That's what you're owed by virtue of your guilt and sin. And I don't want what I'm owed, man. I'm owed nothing from God. I'm promised much from God, but I'm owed nothing from God. Let me, let me give you some Bible, because I, I hope the shock value of what I've just said, and I mean every word of it, I hope the shock value of it has at least gotten you to where you're willing to listen on this thing. Let me, let me give you something from Ephesians 4. So Paul's writing uh, the church at Ephesus, and part of what he's writing is to get them to get in a militant commitment to unity, radical unity and oneness, to live out the oneness in a commitment to unity. We are one, but we have to live for and in unity. And oneness is the source of our functional unity with each other. So Paul writes this, and he's writing from prison, by the way, so he's got a lot of credibility. You know, his faith had cost him something. So he's writing to the church at Ephesus, and he says, "I." this is Ephesians 4, by the way, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. So Ephesians 4.1, he's saying, hey, I'm sitting in prison. I'm, I'm paying the, the price for being a zealous, radically committed Christian. And while I'm sitting in prison, I'm going to challenge you guys that aren't in prison, talking to the church at Ephesus, and by the way, by application, talking to you and me living in the 21st century, I want all Christians to walk, to live, to live out their faith in a manner that is worthy of the calling to which you've been called. 
And that phrase, calling to which you've been called, is a general expression of our covenant life with Jesus Christ. Called out of sin, called out of unbelief, called out of rebellion, and called into the kingdom of God through the covenant that God made with all believers through the blood of Jesus Christ. So he's saying, I want you to live in the honor of what you've been given. And then he describes in verses 2, 3, and 4, he describes what that kind of living will look like. So live in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Okay, just real quick Bible study here. So verse 2 tells us what it looks like to live in a way that is worthy of the Lord's calling on our life. And the first word is humility. Uh, The Greek word is hupatasso, and it means to put yourself in rank, to put yourself underneath. It, It simply means you recognize you're not to live for your own self because you're owed nothing from God and you're owed nothing from people. We don't have to like that. Your flesh won't like that. My flesh won't like that. But we're not people of the flesh, are we? We're people of the spirit. And so my spirit, when I hear that, when I hear that call on my life, Jeff, you are to live with all humility. It provokes me to press into Jesus, the humble one. It provokes me to get closer to him. It provokes me to groan in the spirit that I might be made humble like Jesus so I can live in a manner that's worthy of my calling. The opposite of humility is pride. The opposite of humility is self-assertion. The opposite of humility is feeling like I'm owed. The opposite of humility is me looking out for me, even if it's at your expense. And that is the spirit of this age. The spirit of this age is the exact opposite of humility. It is self-exaltation. But he doesn't just say humility. He says gentleness. Oh, man, I'm crushed on this one. Listen, I am not gentle by nature. My natural state is not gentle. Some of you listening, if you're a maverick and a misfit, you're probably got a little bit of a wiring in you, a little thread in your your human DNA that, um, you know, you you buck the system. You're not willing to just sit by and let people, you know, run your life. So you have a little fight in you. And um, the Bible says that if we're going to live in a manner that's worthy of the calling unto salvation that Jesus has given, it's going to result in gentleness. And so that means we're going to have conflict. There's nothing we can do about that, but that we are not to be marauding, abrasive, um, hostile, um, crushing people. That's just not the mode that we're in. You can be um, bold and still retain an inner gentleness. Um, Humility and gentleness, uh, humility produces gentleness over the long haul. And by the way, gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit. So if you're a Spirit-filled Christian, gentleness is being produced by the spirit in your life and then it says patience another fruit of the spirit humility gentleness and patience Um, patience is simply that willingness to bear with people that's the next phrase bearing with one another in love so think about your life just stop for a second think about your life in order to walk in a manner that's worthy of being a follower of jesus paul describes Humility, gentleness, patience, and your willingness to bear with other people in love. Do you know why you're told to bear with other people in love? It's because people are complicated. Uh, People are provocative. People are not easy. 
And, and primarily as Christians, we are to be like Jesus. And Jesus was one who knew how to bear with people. Just look at his interactions with his own disciples. You got James and John who Jesus is on a mission to save people. And James and John want to call down hail and brimstone and fire from heaven to destroy a village that didn't want to receive Jesus's message. And Jesus says to them, how long am I going to bear with you guys? Um, he called them the sons of thunder because these guys had like hair trigger tempers. James and John. I mean, these are two of his closest disciples. And then you look at him with Peter. My goodness, Peter was always seemingly saying stuff that just was complete opposite of what Jesus was saying, thinking or doing. But Jesus bore with Peter. Peter even denied Jesus. And then Jesus, after the resurrection, made it a point to go find the very one who had rejected him and denied him. That's bearing with one another in love. And you see that, you know, with even like Nicodemus, who Nicodemus was a curious, spiritually curious Pharisee, part of the Sanhedrin that ended up, you know, calling for the crucifixion of Jesus. But because Jesus was bearing with Nicodemus in love when Nicodemus was really reluctant to believe and kind of not wanting to, you know, struggling with giving up his position and really struggling with what it meant to be born again. And Jesus didn't just say, all right, Nicodemus, I gave you the truth. You go figure it out. And until you figure it out, I'm done with you. He just kept bearing with them in love. And so when we think about these kind of things, friends, I'm just asking you, who in your life right now is God saying, I want you to operate with that person in humility, gentleness, patience, and I want you to bear with them another day, week, month, or year. Bear with them in love. Um, it's not just certain individuals in our lives. This is like our calling it's to be the condition of our heart in life. So in other words, um, you can be bold, you can be assertive, you can be convinced, you can be even one who's called to tear down strongholds and dismantle cultural idols, but none of that calling and none of that purpose and activity is ever allowed to undermine the, the call on our lives to be humble with each other to be gentle with each other, to be very patient with one another as we bear with one another in agape love. And then that last phrase in Ephesians 4 is this, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. I'm about to say something that's really going to be unpopular, and some of you guys don't know what I'm talking about, but... Um, around 2000 and uh, let's just say 2017, maybe 2018, um, in Metro Atlanta where I live and serve, there was a, um, an incredible gospel prayer oriented movement of racial reconciliation. And I won't, I won't name the, the movement, but it was, it was, it was really, really growing and burgeoning. A good friend of mine helped help source and establish this movement. It was filled with pastors that were black and white and Hispanic and Asian. And we were all coming together to promote and to facilitate racial unity and understanding. And um, this thing really took on wings, man. It, it began to blow up in a great way. And there were, you know, large gatherings of Christians from different denominations and different races coming together to foster Christian unity in the bond of peace, to recognize that we have differences, to listen 
to one another so we could understand uh, the, the different experiences that Christians had had in their lives being of a different race than, let's say, I'm white, so different. I was listening to blacks and Asians and Hispanics, and blacks were listening to Asians and Hispanics and whites and so on and so on. And it was beautiful. We were praying together. We were worshiping together. We were coming hard to pull down the stronghold of racism um, in the city of Atlanta. And for probably the better part of a year and a half, it was glorious. Every time we met, the, the Spirit of God would fall. And we had these big events. But the closer we got to the presidential election year in 2019, um, I started noticing a little bit of a political thread. Um, the culture at that time was in upheaval and primarily between blacks and whites. There were police shootings. There was a lot of racial tension. And, um, you know, understandably, uh, African-Americans were fed up with the effects of uh, systemic racism in the United States of America. And so that was going on in the culture. But our, our deal was to promote unity in the spirit. But somebody opened a door. I don't know who or I don't know when. And I remember being at the last meeting I attended with this organization. And it was in a historically black church. And um, we met down there as we've been doing off and on for the better part of a year. And when we met, um, the very first speaker in that weekend conference uh, got up and gave a disclaimer. He said, y'all aren't going to like what I'm about to say. And uh, he's an African-American pastor, well-known in the city of Atlanta. And he began to speak intensely about being owed, about his people being owed, about reparations. It was actually mentioned. He said, there can be no reconciliation until there are reparations. And let me tell you what happened. Immediately, the Holy Spirit left. Immediately. That movement to this day, and we are probably a couple of years down the road now uh, from that meeting, it's never been the same. And by the way, he wasn't the only one. There was a white man that stood up and uh, the white man affirmed what this African-American brother had said and was, it's, it's, hey, we owe a lot of white guilt, a lot of black entitlement, and the message moved from unity in the spirit and the bond of peace, oneness with a desire to understand and listen and learn from one another. And somehow the politically charged atmosphere in the culture somehow got into that movement. And it was as if the Holy Spirit, the dove, lifted and flew away. And quite frankly, although there have been some marches and some organizations with that movement, um, it's never been the same. And immediately, um, both black and white, Asian and Hispanic pastors who were committed to that movement, they realized oh, this is completely different. This is way more like the culture now than the the reason that we came together. And they dropped out. Uh, I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not ashamed to say I never went back to another meeting. Uh, I talked with the leaders. I sat down with the man who was running it, and I said, let me tell you what happened down there. And I asked, what are y'all going to do? And he disagreed with me, and he had bought into the idea that, no, you're, you're overestimating, you're, you're overinflating what's going on. I said, no, I'm actually not. This is exactly what's happened. And so I'm not going to go into all the background details, but I will say this, that that movement was never the same. And to this day, I, I, don't, I don't know what they're doing anymore. Why is that important? Because it's a, it's a picture of what's happening on a micro level where Christians who are called to unity across racial lines, across denominational lines, across even um, minor theological difference. We're not always going to agree theologically, but when we have the, the agreement that Jesus Christ is Lord and that salvation is exclusively through Jesus Christ and no man comes unto the Father but by him, 
And when our, our hearts are set for the glory of God, we're allowed to have minor theological differences and still cooperate. Why? Because we're called to endeavor or to be eager to maintain the unity. God says, that's your responsibility, my children. Your responsibility is to maintain, to prioritize and maintain the unity that you have in the Holy Spirit. And we are to do that in humility, gentleness, patience, as we bear with one another in love. And we're to protect the bond of peace. And so I'm asking my listeners today, where's your heart on this thing? Um, I, I don't really believe that I'm called to start a movement. I really don't. I'm, I have a pastor's heart and I like trying to, um, you know, give truth and exhortation and challenge to individual Christians in the hope that they will stay in the presence of the Lord with a desire to consider what they've said, to pray through it and to get instruction from the Lord. I I really don't want to lead a big movement. That's just not me. Um, I pray that maybe God will raise up some apostolic individuals that will do that. But I am more of a a prophet, teacher, pastor, and I'm asking you as your brother, what are you more inclined to do? Classify yourself by your race? Are you closer? Do you share more according to your race? So I'm a white guy. Um, Am I more in unity with white people who don't share in the partaking of the life of Jesus Christ? Or am I closer to my black, Hispanic, and um, Asian brothers who don't share my DNA physically, don't share my skin color, don't share my facial features, they don't share my culture um, externally, but we share the same, we're partakers of the same Holy Spirit. Am I more inclined to be unified with them or do I fragment and segregate and say, I'm going to stick with the white Southerners? You see the audacity in that, that Jesus died to secure our oneness. And yet whites and blacks and Hispanics and Asians, um, we, we get cloistered culturally and we fight for our cultural rights. We fight for our racial rights. Now listen, where there is injustice, all Christians should fight together against all injustice. But when a movement or a moment or a commitment to fight against injustice for the glory of Jesus, because the psalmist told us that God's throne is established in righteousness and justice. So God is for justice. And if you're a Christian walking in the spirit, you're going to be for justice. But are we fighting with, against, in that sense, against each other in order to maintain our loyalties and priorities and our racial components? Does that make sense? So in other words, let me just go for it. If you're black, if you're African-American, are you more connected to your African-American culture than you are your Christian oneness with people that happen not to be African-American? Um, if you are Asian, and my goodness, the, the year 2021 has been the um, year of the uptick in injustice, racial persecution, and violence against Asians. Naturally, that's going to make Asians very mad and want to fight for uh, their ethnic people group. But are you doing that at the expense of no longer identifying with your Christian brothers and sisters who may not be Asian? 
And then we've got the immigration issue, which is uh, heavily Latino or Hispanic, especially at the southern border of the United States. And so it is highly possible to be so politically influenced and fighting for the uh, immigration rights, even illegal immigrants, and saying, I'm going to fight for my racial group. And then in doing so, you break fellowship with other racial groups within the body of Christ who don't share your political ideology concerning immigration. Do you see how easily this happens? And by the way, while I'm at it, let me go ahead and potentially offend some white people. Um, The idea that white people have not been privileged in this country is a farce. We need to get honest. We need to recognize that um, there is such thing as white privilege. Now, I would only say this. I don't think it's to the extreme nor of the exact caricature that we see played out in um, especially the media and especially from the liberal political ideologies. But there's no doubt about it that um, the white majority has enjoyed privilege for the entire uh, history of this republic. Um, and so as w- one who is of the white race, I have to ask the question, what, what have I done with my privilege to help people who don't share that privilege? But I'm going to tell you something. Um, the idea that other ideologies and races should stand up and demand payback in my generation for what previous generations of whites have done, that's about as anti-gospel as you can get. Hear me on this. One of the most anti-gospel sentiments that can rise up in a human being is this phrase, I am owed. You're not owed anything. I'm not owed anything. I will say it again, as I said it before, the only thing that we deserve is death, hell, and separation from God in the lake of fire. That's the only thing you are owed. And hallelujah, aren't you glad you didn't get it? And so as a person, as a Caucasian as a male Caucasian, which apparently is, you know, like now the worst thing you can be because you're just by nature of being white and male in America, you are, you know, the bottom of the barrel according to liberal politics and the liberal media and the class and race war here. I, I just don't buy into that. That's why I can talk about it freely. I was like, and I don't feel guilty about being white. I didn't get a vote. <laughs> you know, I was born to two white people. And, and so I came into the world white and I'm not ashamed of that, nor am I proud of it. It's incidental to me. It's the skin I live in. The question is, what am I doing with the spirit I live by? The skin you live in is inferior to the spirit you live by. Some of y'all need to get that. And I want to use my life for gospel purposes. And in order to use my life for gospel purposes, I have to renounce self. I have to endeavor in humility, patience, Um, and kindness, bear with others in love and fight for, be eager for, endeavor, work hard at, strive to maintain the unity that God says will flow from the oneness I share with all my brothers and sisters in Christ. So I've given you tons to think about today. Um, If you disagree with what I've said, okay, you know, so be it. Uh, I'm willing to talk to you about it. You can email me personally at jeff at maverickmisfit.com, jeff at maverickmisfit.com. And in summary, all I'm saying is this, my commitment to you as my brother and sister in Christ outweighs any racial, gender, generational, or political differences we might have. I'm willing to work through all of the junk 
in order that you and I might look each other in the eye and say, hallelujah, what a savior, he's made us one. Those are my thoughts today on Mavericks Misfits. Thanks for tuning in. I'll talk to you next time. God bless. Thank you for listening to today's Mavericks and Misfits podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, and review Mavericks and Misfits with Jeff Lyle on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Your review helps us to reach more people and spread the unfiltered message of Jesus. And don't forget that you can connect with Jeff's social media links at maverickmisfit.com. We look forward to reconnecting with you on our next episode.